Welcome to the Do Life Better podcast, where we believe that you get to create who you are being and who you become. And it's often the smallest changes and actions that make the biggest difference. Each week, your host, Dave Jorner, will bring you the best guests, tips and messages to inspire and help you to do life even better. Thanks for joining us today. Now let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome to today's episode of the Do Life Better podcast and thank you for joining me again today and if this is your first time, welcome to the Do Life Better community. So good to have you with us. Now, I've been looking forward to today's episode for a long time. This is with Dr. Rick Hansen and in fact, I've been really excited about this one ever since I first booked him in for this interview. Now, as many of you know, I'm training for my very first marathon, which in fact, I'll be running the Sunday after this episode is released. And I've been using a lot of what Rick spoke about in this interview in my training as a way to build up my resilience, inner strength and enhance my mind game. And come race day, I will certainly be drawing on a lot of his tips and strategies, especially when the struggle begins and I know the struggle will be kicking in big time. I first heard of Dr. Rick Hansen a couple of years ago, in fact, on the School of Greatness podcast with Lewis Howes. If you haven't checked that one out, do so. I know you'll love it. His messages helped me create a lot more happiness, self-confidence, and resilience in my everyday life. And I know what Dr. Rick Hansen will share in this episode will do the same for you too. In fact, our early episode on savoring was inspired by what I previously learned from Rick. Dr. Rick Hansen is a psychologist and senior fellow of the Greater Good Science Center at UC Berkeley and has spoken at NASA, Harvard, Oxford, Stanford, and other major universities. He is also an author, and his books include The Buddha's Brain, which is in 25 languages. Another one is Just One Thing, which is in 13 languages. Also, Hard Worrying Happiness, which is a New York Times bestseller. And his latest book is Resilient, How to Grow an Unshakable Core of Calm, Strength and Happiness. In this episode, Rick will help you overcome your brain's negativity bias, release painful thoughts and feelings, and replace them with self-compassion, hope and inner peace. He will also show you how to turn your everyday experiences like the warmth of a friend's smile or a pleasant meal into lasting inner strengths which become hardwired into your brain, such as resilience, balance, and positive emotions. By the way, whatever you're doing right now, could you please do me one favor? Could you please take a screenshot of this episode and share it as a post or story in Instagram or Facebook? And if you do, tag me in at Dave Jorna, that's Dave Jorna, J-O-R-N-A, and Do Life Better Podcast, and include Dr. Rick Hansen in there as well, at Rick Hansen, PhD. That's Rick, H-A-N-S-O-N, PhD. I love receiving your messages and connecting with you on social media, so please do tag us in. That'd be fantastic. And now, it's time to get started. So, I hope you enjoy this chat with Dr. Rick Hansen. Uh, Rick Hansen, thank you very much for joining me today on today's episode of the Do Life Better podcast. Dave, I'm very happy to be here. And as I mentioned to you, as soon as I got the invitation and I understood what you were doing and who you were reaching, I immediately wanted to be part of this. That's very kind. Thank you. You must get so many um, so many requests all the time. So I really do appreciate you saying yes to this one. And our, our listeners also are very grateful for your time now too. So thank okay. you very much. And yeah. From listening to you on podcasts and your own book, I believe that you are quite into rock climbing, or at least you were yes. a while ago. And um, I used to go rock climbing quite a lot myself, but probably nowhere near as extreme as you. Um, mm. what, what I did was mainly scrambling, so we didn't really need yeah. ropes. But um, yeah, what got you into your rock climbing and, and how long were you doing that for? Well, it's interesting you say that. So as a kid... I was really young going through school because I skipped a grade to have a very late birthday. And then and I was kind of a dork. So I didn't really get into sports and I didn't feel very good about myself. Partly as a result, I felt, you know, picked last or next to last for baseball teams, things like that. And then when I finally, you know, went off to college and I started playing sports more, I realized I was actually reasonably athletic, not a really great athlete, but a decent one. Mm -hmm. And um, I had always liked climbing trees as a kid. And then I met a, I had a friend in college 
who turned me on to rock climbing. And I immediately got interested in it because it played to my strengths. I don't have enormous physical strength, but I'm determined and cunning mm. and, uh, you know, reasonably coordinated. So that that worked for me. And I loved it. I loved the sense of grappling uh, with challenge and succeeding at it. I loved the camaraderie. I loved mm. the physical settings you could be in a thousand feet off the ground looking down at the trees like green foam beneath you, looking down on birds soaring in the sky hundreds of feet above the earth, but you're looking down at them, just things like that. And it was also fantastic in terms of uh, feeling much better about myself. And this probably goes to some of our topics. I I look for ways again and again and again to really register the experiences I was having of grit and determination and staying calm in the middle of very dangerous environments and pressing on even when I was uncomfortable and this and also the sense of satisfaction when we finally got to the top and mm-hmm. through honestly rewiring myself by repeatedly internalizing those experiences it really helped me with my self-worth and my sense of myself and gave me more confidence uh, with other people and in other settings too away from the mountains well, that's so similar to, to my story. I had this massive tree in our backyard and I used to climb up to the top and look over the yeah. house and I could just see this tiny little view of the water way out in the distance. And I used to love seeing there because it was about uh, the escape, the, the peace, the yeah, quiet, the calm. I and then I turned that into climbing. There's these mountains um, near the Sunshine Coast in Queensland called the Glasshouse Mountains. They're volcanic cores. And I used to oh. love climbing up there. And yeah. when in those moments, we, um, when I was going through the more difficult parts of the climb, uh, yeah. I'd feel a lot more, a lot more uh, greater sense of clarity and presence. And you know, particularly if things were, um, if I was struggling with different things in, in my in my week or whatever, I knew that I had to go climb straight away. If I got bad news for something, I have to go climb. And then mm. I find that I'm not trying to find answers. I'm not necessarily yeah. asking questions as I'm climbing. I'm just present because, what, as you're saying, when you're climbing, if you're not present, you're going to have a bad accident probably. Yeah. So you need to be completely present. And I think – 100 Yeah. And, and the, the um, achievements, the successes of climbing the top, it boosts your confidence and just that yeah. idea of – and without realizing it, I think that's when I first started to understand savoring. It wasn't mm. until years later that I heard you talk about it, that it made sense yeah. for me because I used to, you know, before you just said about watching the birds fly beneath you and I mm-hmm. used to love sitting at the top of these mountains and just savoring that moment, just sitting yeah. and enjoying in that moment. And um, mm. speaking of savoring, I, I mentioned to you earlier that I remember the time I first heard you speak of the concept of savoring. Uh, it was on the Lewis Howes uh, School of Greatness podcast. And I even remember where I was driving at the time. I was on my way to a leadership development program I was running. And that idea of savoring is so profound for me and it's made such a difference for me. And mm. I have briefly mentioned it on the podcast, but I'd love to hear from you. And I think I, our listeners will as well. Love to hear from you more about the idea of savoring and and why it's so powerful. Yeah. Um, Well, so I work backwards from the idea of if we're facing challenges in life and we're dealing also with vulnerabilities that we may have, maybe in my case, say a vulnerability to feeling inadequate or less than other people, not good about myself, or what another person's vulnerability might be. Maybe they're anxious or they're irritable. All right. To deal with these challenges inside ourselves, and also outside ourselves, we need to grow psychological resources inside of various kinds. Courage, grit, resilience, self-worth, compassion, gratitude, happiness, etc. skills for dealing with other people. These are resources. They're like psychological muscles. So then the question is, all right, if these psychological resources are really important, and they are, and much research supports this, then the question is, how can I grow them inside me? What do I need to do actually to fill myself with these kind of resources? And that takes us into the fundamental neuropsychology, really, of personal growth or healing or development or learning. We become more courageous or happy or compassionate or confident by repeatedly having experiences of whatever it is we want to grow we got to get it going in the brain, basically. Mm-hmm. we got to get that song playing in the inner iPod. But then, if it's to have any lasting value, by definition, 
we have to turn on the inner recorder. Because if it's just merely an experience, that does not inherently mean we're going to walk away from the experience any happier, any stronger, any wiser, any more capable. We must help the experience become installed in us. So that has brought me into my focus on what I informally call taking in the good, could be more formally described as positive neuroplasticity. Sometimes we internalize these resources like pleasure in being with others or the sense of beauty or awe, let's say looking down on birds a few hundred meters beneath us. That would be savoring in the general sense of that meaning, which is applied usually to super pleasurable experiences. We savor them. Okay, that's great. Additionally, though, much more broadly than merely savoring, when we're having a moment of sense of endurance, fortitude, or grit, that's an opportunity to help that state of being to, over time, grow trait grit, trait resilience, and actually become a part of ourselves that we take with us wherever we go. I wouldn't say that in rock climbing I was savoring many experiences I had of just surviving and pushing through and dealing with something really painful and scary. And yet through internalizing those experiences again and again, that really build up, built up a core of calm strength inside me. So that's the general idea. Yes, savoring's a useful word, some of the time at least, but for me, it's pretty easy for the savoring idea to become merely, oh yeah, smell the flowers, man. Well, that's good. <laughs> Why not smell the flowers or look at the birds, man? You know, that's good. That's right. But I'm really talking about something quite profound here. No matter what's happened in your past and no matter what circumstances are around you, no one can stop you every day from gaining as much as possible in lasting ways from the experiences you're having. Hmm. No one can stop you and no one can do it for you either. So it's kind of an old school idea. It's the essence of self-reliance. But in the process of growing these resources inside yourself, these mental psychological muscles every day, you can really um, influence who you are becoming and set yourself up to have tons and tons of capabilities, including happiness. Nice, thank you. and. I like what you're saying too. Well, when you are savoring the moment, to yeah. not just let it be a head thing, a head process. One hundred percent. Yeah. To feel it, um, and I know I remember the first couple of times I tried savoring the moment, it felt a little bit funny, it felt a little bit strange, a little bit different, but I started getting pretty used to it pretty quickly, and just to yeah. allow that. For me, it's often you know that sense of the energy flowing through me or the the butterflies in, in that joy moment and you know I like the concept you use as well when you have a nice moment don't have to make it like a million dollar lottery winning yeah. moment just That's enjoy right. it for what it is and by doing that I start finding many more moments in each day to savor and, and yeah. then you start seeing more of those moments in each mm -hmm. day so I start finding more moments as well yeah 100% that's exactly right and uh, I'll Part of it is, if you think about it, you know, the basis of any kind of positive change in a person, mm -hmm. becoming happier, becoming stronger, feeling uh, more confident that you're worthy of love, that you're you actually are popular or that you're worth being popular, whatever it might be, that must involve changing the brain. Mm. So then the question is, how do we change the brain for the better? And we change it in this two-stage way. First, you have to experience what you want to grow. And second, you've got to help it change your brain. Now, if I could, as you know in my book, uh, I don't know the title in, uh, title in Australia. In America, it's called Hardwiring Happiness. Yes, it's basically same. about the fundamental, okay, the fundamental science of positive brain change. There are a lot of details in it. There are a lot of applications in it. But the bottom line is really simple. First of all, stay with the experience for a breath or two or longer for five, 10, 20, or more seconds in a row. There's a famous saying, neurons that fire together, wire together. Mm. So the longer they're firing together, the longer we stay with the experience, rather than changing the channel internally or letting other people rain on our parade, the longer we stay with that experience, the more likely it is to start leaving a lasting physical trace behind in the brain. Mm -hmm. Second is, as you said a moment ago, feel it in your body, come out of your head, let 
you know, I know a lot of people that'll do gratitude practices or they'll do self-esteem practices or they'll do affirmations. It's all intellectual. They don't feel it. They don't mm. feel any more worthwhile. They don't feel any more confident or hopeful. So try to open to it in the body. Again, the richer the experience, the more it's going to tend to leave lasting changes in the brain. And the third little hack this is, these are hacks. These are cool. You I can love do the hacks. Them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, hacks are cool. I mean, yeah. they're practical. Um, focus on what's rewarding about the experience, what's enjoyable or meaningful about it. Technically, that will increase activity of neurotransmitters called dopamine and norepinephrine. And as their activity increases, they tend to flag the experiences we're having at the time as keepers for prioritization and protection in long-term storage. Everything I described can be done over the course of a dozen seconds. Stay with it, feel it in your body, really track what's enjoyable about it, increase the reward value of the experience. Yeah, the longer you stay with it, the better. There's probably a minimum threshold on the order of a breath, you know, half a dozen seconds or so, unless it's really a million dollar moment. And so the point is, you can do this in half a minute or less, multiple times a day. And nobody needs to know you're doing it. That's right. You can look all cool or stoic or whatever you want on the outside. And on the inside, you're like, yeah, baby, why not? <laughs> I earned this experience. Take it in. I fought hard for this freaking experience. Mm. Why not let it sink in? Mm. And then in so doing, bit by bit, synapse by synapse, you'll be changing yourself for the better. Yeah, that's so good because we often just have a moment and then move on straight to the next thing. So really fast. And savor it is so important. And yeah. that, that also links quite nicely with, I like the way you term the negativity bias in terms of negative stick like Velcro and yeah. positive slide off like Teflon um, because of the caveman ancestors and the, you know, the yeah. brain's the most basic need for survival and so on. It makes sense in those terms. Yeah. Um, how, I mean, there's so many different ways that negativity bias affects us. In, in everyday yeah. life, like, you know, we can have a really successful day, but if one person gives us a negative look, then that's probably Boom. what we stick to the most that night. Um, yeah. In what ways can we really counteract that negativity bias? So savoring is one. Um, yeah. what's, what are some other ways we can really help to um, balance it out a bit more? Yeah. One is to uh, stop fueling the negative preoccupations. In other words, um, it's natural, it's normal to have anger come up or to feel hurt if somebody acts a certain way or to worry about something or feel sad about something. Uh, that's, that's normal. Stuff comes up. The question then is, do we keep feeding it? Do we keep pouring gasoline mm. on that fire through uh, ruminating again and again and again about it? maybe building up a resentful case against other people who did me wrong. Uh, we're very vulnerable to, as humans, social mammals, to developing grievances. I mean, and you really see that scaled up at the level of politics. In America today, you know, there's a lot of people who are deeply invested in forming grievances who have actually not been mistreated actually. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it's, we got to be careful about the dark side of the force, right? It has a lot of power. And uh, so that's my first suggestion. Be mindful of when you're starting to feed the negative preoccupation. It doesn't matter if it, if it washes through the brain rapidly, it's not going to leave a trace particularly. Um, and if you can step back from it mindfully and, and witness it with some distance, it's going to not tend to leave a trace. If anything, you'll tend to associate calm witnessing to something that's agitating or hurtful. Right. That's point number one. Don't feed the fire. Point number two, you're exactly right. Build up other resources, take in the good again and again and again um, to uh, internalize these beneficial experiences, which will gradually crowd out the negative. And then I think third, uh, over time, Try to try to dwell increasingly in a reasonably realistic, I'll call it positive attitude, in which we really appreciate what's good about the times in which we live. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, the typical person in the developed half of the world today eats better than kings and queens did a generation ago. Mm -hmm. We have access to entertainment, to knowledge, flip a switch. You can listen to wisdom teachings from around the world. You can learn anything you want with Wikipedia. You can search for things. You can have, 
you can tap into music of any kind. You can watch people dancing. You can just culture is this extraordinary um, medicine protection of different kinds. So mm. Civil society in general, far from perfect, but it's a average person today uh, is a lot safer. Uh, from violence than an average person was a generation ago, certainly a century or a millennia, a millennium ago. So there's a lot of reasons, I think, to just try to rest in, including a sense of your own worth, a sense of your own capability. Uh, you know, you don't have to be a saint to be a good enough person. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yes. You don't. Yes. You're, to be like, I don't know you well at all, I can immediately see really fast you're a basically good guy. Uh, you can see that about me probably pretty quickly. Mm, mm. Uh, I don't know about you, but I still have my faults and I still have my I've lapses and all the rest of that. <laughs> yeah. But you can tell someone's a basically good guy. We're generally surrounded by basically good people. I don't mean losing track of who's not a basically good person, but I just mean there's lots of reason to dwell in um, a, a realistic sense of confidence and capability. And then on the basis of that, go forward in your life. Make the offering you can relax control about the results you can't make the world love you but what you can focus on is your own offering um, so the, to me those are three things that uh, tend to uh, overcome the negativity bias excellent thank you and what you're saying about don't feed the fire i yeah. remember you must have been talking about this on the your being well podcast and yeah. because i was going for an early morning run it was very cold the wind it was really windy as well and I was feeding the fire in terms of focusing on what felt bad, <laughs> on yeah. the pain in my legs, on the cold air, on all of that. And as soon as you said that, I thought, what am I doing? <laughs> so actually, I paused the podcast and then tried to find something that felt good and focus yeah. on what feels good right now. And it was actually really hard because it's so cold and so on. So I focused on gratitude and said, what yeah. am I grateful for right now? And even just the ability to get out and go for a walk. I'll go for a run. I'm grateful for that. So, yeah, yeah that, that was actually really helpful for me right there in that moment. So thank you. That's really cool. And, you know, if I could, it illustrates a general point, which is that these um, emotionally positive experiences, usually mild ones and still genuine ones, such as gratitude, um, make us stronger. Mm. They don't make us self-indulgent wussies. They make us stronger. They're Mother Nature's way to help us recover from what's stressful and difficult and find fuel and reason to keep on going in the face of challenge. And I think it's easy to dismiss a focus on what's been, I use the word beneficial typically rather than mm -hmm. positive. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's enjoyable. It's certainly useful, the experience that's beneficial. Um, you know, when we, it's easy to kind of dismiss a focus on happiness or on positive emotions like gratitude is trivial or some kind of luxury indulgement, indulgement for, you know, indulgence for rich yuppies. And I think, no, 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 no. First of all, why would you sneer at positive experiences for other people or for yourself? Because of course you would wish them for your own children. Well, why not wish them for yourself and for others too? And then second, uh, realize in a very tough minded way, one of the absolute best ways to become stronger and to deal with a tough world is to look for beneficial experiences, which you then internalize into yourself over the course of a breath or two or three. The worse a person's life, the less that the world is helping them out, the more important it is to be self-reliant mm. and look for these opportunities to experience things that are beneficial uh, and then take them into yourself. Mm. That's so true, thank you. and. Yeah. You've mentioned already a number of key areas for building resilience, um, yeah. and linking with your new book, Resilience. Yeah. Um, and I'll, I'll put links to that in the show notes as well. Uh, what are some other ways to build resilience? I know in your book you mentioned gratitude, um, managing oh, the sure. mind. What would be yeah. – this might be a difficult question to answer, but are there a couple of key things that anyone can work on to really build yeah. up their own resilience? That's great. Um, well, so resilience helps us recover from what's horrible, but it also helps us deal every day with challenges of different kinds, whether it's a cold, you know, uh, wind blowing on you in an early morning run or rejection. Maybe you're in school and uh, somebody is kind of mean to you or they're forming like a clique against you. That's a real challenge you got to deal with. So resilience is for everyday issues, not just for the worst day of your life, first of all. Second, um, 
if and to have any kind of ongoing well-being in a changing world, we need to be resilient. It's easy to have well-being. It's easy to be happy when your dog loves you and everybody loves you and you're eating chocolate and you know, you're eating five-star reviews for your podcast and everything's really great, right? But how do you maintain well-being when things are challenging? Well, you need resilience for that. All right. So if well-being comes in large part from resilience, where does resilience come from? It comes from these psychological strengths of various kinds that we've been talking about. So that's the reason to develop these strengths to become more resilient and also to be successful and to be capable of working with other people, running a business, succeeding in a career, going to school and managing your own thoughts and feelings. So that's kind of the overarching framework here. Mm-hmm. It's not that framework. So you, how I interpret your question is you're saying, okay, Rick, come on, man. What are your top three or yep. something like <laughs> really, 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 really. Okay. Good. Yep. I'll tell you, I, I think first of all, the top three will depend on the person a little bit, mm-hmm. but uh, kind of on average, a good guess would be number one, can you calm your body down when you're getting stressed? Absolutely central. Much research shows that one of the markers of long-term meditation practice or mindfulness practice is how rapidly the heart rate slows when people drop into a meditative moment. And more generally, if you look at top performers athletically or people in high-stakes situations like astronauts, or people operating in like emergency room medicine, or in a business environment where there's a lot of pressure, how rapidly can a person come back to what I call the green zone, have after they've been jacked up around fight, flight, freeze kind of stress. Mm -hmm. So training in resting state, calm strength, through repeatedly having and then taking in the good installing, I call it, rather than savoring, say, installing Mm -hmm. these beneficial experiences uh, of calm strength, that then builds up a reservoir inside people, kind of a storehouse of capability that is like a deep keel of a sailboat, so that when the winds blow, the sailboat rights its way Mm -hmm. rapidly. So I think that sense of calm strength, and it's not just calm, it's a feeling of strength and fortitude that we can deal with what's facing us. And one of my sources of calm strength, as I've mentioned, were hundreds of experiences while rock climbing or doing other ridiculously stupid things in the mountains. (laughs) Second thing is to build up the sense that others truly do care about you. That is a major source of resilience. You you know, these days, uh, there's a lot of long-term wars going on in the world. And uh, at least in America, maybe in Australia as well, because your soldiers have been fighting there too. Mm. Um, people are coming back from these really horrible situations, these combat zone environments, and some have PTSD and some don't from very similar circumstances. And many of the things that are protective around intense stress buffers and also help people in general face everyday challenges is the felt sense that uh, others find you likable they do care about you. It's not a perfect relationship, but they're your buds. They're your friends. Or maybe they're part of your platoon or part of your team at work. Or you have a sense of the internal sense of your buddies who are with you or your grandmother who is with you or your teacher, your rabbi, your friend who is with you as you face your challenges. That, that internal sense of social supplies and mm-hmm. feeling connected that we take with us through repeatedly having and then taking in genuine experiences of feeling cared about um, is a really, really powerful resource, I think, for resilience. Right. And then I think the last uh, one that I would really pick for resilience um, is the capacity to keep on going when you're uncomfortable, especially if you're scared. Mm. It's normal to be scared. And that's, for me, also, that's where mountaineering, and I think there are other kinds of sports that are good for this, were really good because if you're not scared, you're not paying attention. That's you know, right. you're a thousand feet off the ground. The wind is whistling. The storm is coming in. Your life is in the hands of your partner. Uh, you, there's a rope that's 10 millimeters thick, a centimeter thick that your whole life is depending upon. And you're, if you fall, you're going to fall 40 feet. You know, you're 20 feet above your protection. You're going to go another 20. That's a long way to fall. You're going almost 60 miles an hour. 40 feet of free fall by the time the rope catches you. If you're not a little nervous, you're an idiot. Mm. But don't let the fear overwhelm you. And and where, where this shows up a lot is interpersonally, where we're with other people who make us nervous, maybe because they're threatening, 
right? Or maybe simply because in a group environment, we're afraid of looking bad or foolish or making a mistake. Can we keep functioning even while we're anxious? Uh, Or even if we're really angry because someone has messed with us, can we keep being appropriate and not creating more trouble for ourselves and other people by, you know, overreacting, let's say, to somebody? And that's probably the third major resource that I would say is really important for resilience. And it's grown by repeatedly having those kind of experiences Mm. of being under pressure, being keyed up, being aware of your body, being revved up, not interpreting it as overwhelming, but interpreting it as normal activation of the body and finding that resolve in the core of your being that will not ever be defeated fundamentally and will keep on going no matter what. And then as you do that, internalize that into yourself and then try to generalize it to other situations. Uh, I've known a number of people who are very brave on the athletic field and very scared in their intimate relationships. Yes, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. So it's important to generalize what we gain in one domain into all the domains of our life. Okay, those would be my top three. Perfect. Thank you. So do you have a daily practice then? Do you have a a daily routine or something that you do to build up your own well-being and, and resilience? Yeah, lots and lots of chocolate. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> no, that's my wife's. So I don't know if it's making her more resilient. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, so I, I'm committed personally to meditating a minute or more every day. And I would nominate, nominate that to people to have some fundamental practice you do every day that calms and centers you, mm-hmm. whatever it is. And I know some people, it's really walking the dog. But it's not walking the dog while listening to some political podcast that makes you angrier when you get home than when you were when you went out. You know, right. It's yeah. to truly preserve it. Maybe it's yoga. Maybe it's the morning jog or, or swim. People drop into a meditative state. Maybe it's prayer. For a lot of people, frankly, that practice has a religious framework for it. Maybe they're repeating a prayer or a mantra. Okay, fine. Whatever it is, a minute or more a day, even if it's that last minute, as it has been for me, before your head hits the pillow, do that thing every day. So that's one thing I recommend, and I typically give it more than a minute a day. So that's one thing. A second thing I would say I do routinely um, is to uh, take in the good as I move through the day. Like I'm really, I'm registering, and when we're done with this interview, I'm going to really register it as well, how good this has felt. It's not more than what it is, but it's not less than what it is. Mm -hmm. And there have been other moments in this day when I would slow down for, pardon me, a breath or two or three to really just kind of register, feel in the body, like I was saying, and receive into myself some useful experience. So that's another practice I do. I think of myself as kind of moving through life like a sticky net, or life moves through me, you know, and I try to let I the like crud wash through. I try to be like Teflon for the crud and Velcro for the good. And then when it's a legit good moment, usually a mild one, but still real, I try to slow down and help it kind of land. I do that. And then I'd say the last thing uh, I do that's kind of a personal practice is I mean, there's usually something that's in the foreground of my awareness that I'm growing these days, that I'm focusing on, some inner strength in particular that I'm trying to develop. And um, I, again, encourage people to think, hey, you know, what would really help? If it were, if you had it more in your heart these days, if you had it more in your mind these days, if you were a little bit more like that these days, what would really help given what you got to deal with outside yourself or maybe inside yourself? What would really help? Know what you're trying to grow mm. in particular or what's on the short list these days. Uh, and so there's usually one thing that, you know, I'm aware of that I'm really kind of focusing on. Um, like for one, for me, it's a very rapid release of anger uh, and just just, which in a funny kind of way has made me actually stronger in my relationships because it's drawn me into a more grounded way of being. And I'm not a particularly angry guy, so I'm focusing here on you know pretty rapid release of anger and fairly subtle anger. Uh, but still, it's, it's a personal practice I have these days. But the larger point is, whatever it might be, you know, find that one thing. I mm. call it your vitamin C. What's that vitamin C that you want to be taking these days that's high priority for you? Wow, thanks. Can I ask them, how do you release that anger rapidly? What's oh, your practice for that? Yeah. 
Um, being able to, that thing of calm strength really helps mm -hmm. because if your body is calm, if your heart is not racing, if your breathing is normal, if there are not a lot of stress hormones being generated in your body, it's hard to be significantly angry. Just think about it right there. So I have, mm -hmm. I have a lot of background uh, and drop by drop, you know, you fill a bucket. So a lot of little drops for me half a dozen seconds at a time of registering calm strength, I can return to that. I have a pretty deep keel in my water under my sailboat. So that's one. So that, that helps. But for people in general, I think calm your body as fast as you can. Uh, another one is label it to yourself. Oh, I'm getting pissed off. Mm. Oh, I'm, I'm mad. And research shows actually that simply labeling it, mm -hmm. just no praise, no blame, just labeling. Oh, I'm getting mad. Oh, I'm really mad. Whoa. I'm irritated. Oh, I'm so annoyed. Uh, whatever word you want to use, just label it. Research shows that decreases activity in the alarm bell of the brain, the amygdala. Mm -hmm. So it's not so agitated, sending out you know alarm signals. And also just noting it to yourself increases activity right behind the forehead, which is kind of the center of top-down self-regulation, keeping you know controlling yourself. And, and so you can act in appropriate ways. Another thing I do is I remind myself that my anger is an affliction on me. Oh, if you think of it, there are basically yeah. four major negative emotion groups. The anger group, the sadness group, the fear group, and the shame or inadequacy group. Mm -hmm. Most people don't like feeling inadequate mm. or ashamed. No. They don't like feeling sad. They don't like feeling anxious. But anger, oh baby, when it first starts coming, it feels very rewarding. The Buddha had a quotation about anger. He said, anger with its honeyed tip and poisoned barb. Wow. So it's especially important mm. when we're starting to get angry to realize that our anger, which seems so justified in the moment and often has a related righteous case that's part of it, like, how dare you? You did me wrong. You're so stupid. You're so bad. I can't believe it. You're doing it again. Blah. Well, all that is like, it's like worm tongue in the Lord of the Rings. It's like a little voice trying to trick us to get mm -hmm. us to do something that's going to hurt other people and also hurt us as well. So relabeling anger as an affliction upon oneself, man, that was really, really useful to me. And then Thanks. I think finishing, um, being able to speak from the heart about what's underneath the anger, typically hurt or anxiety is under the anger, feeling mistreated or being worried about something or feeling frustrated, like there was something you wanted or you were yeah. you were disappointed in some way or there was a goal you were aiming for or an expectation that was thwarted. That's typically what's under the anger. And so being able to drop down from the surface of the anger to what's really there, um, you know, is a great way to, to release anger really pretty quickly. Thank you. And I like what you're saying about labeling. That's one thing I've been working on recently as well yeah. in terms of Speaking to myself in the third person. Ah. So instead of owning it, um, someone was saying, uh, if, if I was to say, Dave, you're feeling anger, yeah, then it doesn't, it, it creates less ownership on my part of the feeling yeah. of, of anger. Uh, so that's one thing I've been trying to work on a bit. So just to label it, as you're saying, and mm -hmm. to not judge it, because sometimes we get guilty, we feel guilty that we're angry. Then we get frustrated for feeling guilty that we're feeling angry. So just to sit with it and to label it, I've been finding quite helpful. So Yeah, that's that. really good. Yeah. Can I ask you then, um, I have what I call the rocking chair test. And the what? Rocking the, chair, yeah. Yeah, the rocking chair test. So this is all about when I'm really old and gray and wrinkly and I'm sitting on my porch uh, on my rocking chair next to my wife. I don't have the rocking chairs yet or that porch yet, but at the end of my days, What's the, I keep coming back to what's the one thing that I will be the proudest of, the, the one accomplishment, the one achievement that will make me the proudest when I look back over my life. And maybe it's something I've already achieved. Maybe it's something I'm working towards achieving. And that kind of helps to guide the really big decisions in my life. So what's the one thing that would make me the proudest? What would be yours? What would be the, is it something that you're working on that you're hoping to achieve? Is it something that you've already achieved? What would be your rocking chair test, that, that one proudest thing for you? I love this question, Dave. Thanks. It's great. Yeah. Um, well, 
really so i'm i've never heard that question before and so you're getting a really genuine fresh answer oh, unrehearsed uh, oh good honestly I, I think first if i were to look back two things really stand out for me so far and i think i would still feel this way i suspect I, when i'm sitting in the rocker um and one of them is that i've had a lifelong dedication to learning and I'm using that word really broadly. I've had a lifelong dedication to to honestly recognizing my errors and putting in correction, a uh, lifelong dedication to developing myself and um, acquiring, you know, greater skillfulness and happiness and wisdom. And for me, it's of personal meaning and interest, spiritual qualities over time. Uh, and I've I've stayed with it. And to be frank, uh, for me, the the value of a commitment to growth. You know, Carol Dweck talks about a growth mm -hmm. mindset. It's a it's a bit of what I'm saying, but I'm I'm taking her notion and I'm really really broadening it and kind of grounding it in something that could feel kind of sacred. And for me, when I look back, it for, it was so central to me as a teenager, actually. It was when the light bulb really went off, I think. I, I, I located it right around age 15 because I it was right when, around when I was reading Dune by Frank Herbert, mm -hmm. whose main character was 15, and who was very focused on development and training through the Bene Gesserit path and so forth in that particular book. But that made a huge impact on me, this notion that I could develop myself from here. I could learn how to talk to girls from here. I could learn how to deal with my crazy thoughts from here. I could learn how to not be so bothered by my parents. I could learn how to be someone that other people would want to have as a friend. I could develop. It, there was hope. The past is hopeless, right? Can't do anything mm, about it. Even right. who yeah. you are right now, it's kind of hopeless because you are what you are right now in yep. this moment. But in the next second or minute or day or year or decade, you can help yourself develop and grow from here. And that's incredibly hopeful. So I think that I would be really glad I did that. And I guess the other thing is that I would be really glad looking back that um, I uh, have valued and tried to be true to a warm heart. That nice. uh, even as a kind of dorky, shy guy who didn't really know how to do it for quite a while, I've been genuinely I've, I've been genuinely committed to a path of benevolence, of, of being reasonably benign, obviously taking care of my own needs along the way, because that's also really important if you're going to sustain contribution to other people. But I think that if I looked back, I would be really glad that I, you know, I valued the heart and um, adding fuel to the heart along the way. Thank you. And I uh, appreciate the rawness of your answers just now too, and, and the authenticity, as you said, going into that. So Rick, thank yeah. you very much for that. Now, sure. I've got those two final questions coming up. Okay. Before I do ask the final two, and again, thank you for your time today, being really generous. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Uh, yeah. Is there anything I haven't asked you yet that you think would really benefit our listeners? Uh... We've covered a lot of the heart of the matter, which I think is great. And if I could sort of underscore uh, some of the things we've kind of talked about really in a summary way, one is this element of inner resources, psychological strengths of various kinds, and the importance of looking for ways to learn them, to develop and grow them. And that's a really important idea. And then uh, a lot, and, and when you realize that that's important, to grow inner strengths, it then takes you into really valuing experiences of them. Uh, once you're already having or looking for ways to create those experiences or something related, and then really, really, really help it change your brain. Don't just zoom on to the next thing. Don't waste it on your brain with a negativity bias that is really vulnerable to rapidly changing mm -hmm. from our negative experiences. So help it really land inside as a matter of personal habit. It's kind of a keystone habit to use that kind of phrase. We all have habits, good habits, bad habits. Of our good habits, some matter more than others. And there are, there are habits that are the foundation of the development and, and use of other good habits. And I think the strength of learning is the strength of strengths because it's the strength that grows the other strengths. Yes. So, yeah, I would really emphasize that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. I think that's really key. That's okay. what I would say. 
Thank you. So then if our listeners would like to get in contact with you, what would be the best way? For, and we'll put this in our show notes as well. What would sure. be the best way for them to follow you or contact you? Yeah, the simplest way is to go to my website, rickhanson.son.net. We have a contact form there. Um, I'm trying to kind of control my time a bit better than I have in the past. So I, I can't promise a personal response, but I read everything. I read everything that comes to me. And we always do reply, although sometimes uh, it's someone who's replying on my behalf, to be quite honest here. Um, but certainly I would check out recansonson.net, which has tons and tons of resources there, most of them completely free. And people are very welcome to use them or adapt them um, as they see fit. So that's how to do it. Rick Hansen, S-O-N. Excellent. And we'll have that in the show notes as well. So thank you. So being the Do Life Better podcast, I I get a real kick out of asking all of our guests um, what Do Life Better means to them because everyone like yourself has a very specific background and expertise and understanding. So the idea of doing life better, what does that mean Mm -hmm. to you? It's again another great question. So I can think of – two kinds of answers. The first is the one I've already spoken to. It's this notion of do life better means get better and get better means learning and growing. And the essence of that, the key to that is learning how to learn. Mm. So if you're going to do life better, the most important thing to learn is how to be better over time. In other words, how to get good at getting better. If you get what I mean. How to get better, getting better at getting better. That's the that's meta learning, learning how to learn along the way. So that's the general answer we've already discussed. More specifically, I I I I think it, reverse engineering is really cool. Like I would watch great rock climbers. I bet you've done this in different yeah. domains yourself. Yeah. And you study people who are really awesome at something, and then you kind of reverse engineer it. Well, what would it feel like in my body? to climb that rock like a human gecko? Or what would it be like to run that high stakes, high tension business meeting in in that really skillful, adept way that that other person did? Wow, what in the world was going on inside their mind, which means inside their brain, that enabled them to be that kind of a leader who was really effective? Or more generally, what's going on in the brain of a Buddha or someone who's really, really evolved? So I like that idea of reverse engineering. And in particular, I apply it, as you probably know in the book, Hardwiring Happiness, to this idea that there's no end to challenges that face us. And they challenge our needs. And we have three primary needs that include other needs, which are safety, satisfaction, and connection. So our needs for safety and for satisfaction and for connection are routinely going to be challenged. The only question is, how do we meet those needs? Do we meet them? On the basis of stressful fighting or fleeing or freezing, what I call the red zone, lots of stress hormones, a lot of wear and tear, a lot of anger, a lot of frustration, addiction, clinging, craving, not a happy way to live. Or do we meet those needs on the basis of a sense of calm strength inside already, contentment and and gratitude and a sense of being successful already inside ourselves and Do we meet those challenges, especially for connection, feeling already worthy, already like a good enough person, already loved, already lovable, and already able uh, to be compassionate and kind, even to people that we don't approve of? Uh, Doesn't mean we agree with them, just means that uh, we don't allow them to invade our heart and remain. So the question that comes from me, if we think about doing life better, for me, it's about facing larger and larger challenges while remaining centered in the green zone. It's easy to face, to to stay in the green zone when everything's going your way, but when you're arguing with your teenager or you're a teenager arguing with your parents, or if you're dealing with loss or physical pain or something that isn't going right, can you remain grounded in a, a core, an unshakable core, I call it, of resilient well-being, uh, even if around the edges there is pain, there is hurt, there is anxiety, there is anger. And for me, that's what doing life better really means, expanding that core, that unshakable core of resilient well-being uh, in the face of larger and larger challenges, trying to learn from the people like Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in America, Mahatma Gandhi, other people known and unknown who are able to really function 
in very scary, very difficult, very challenging um, environments while retaining a profound quality of inner peace and love and happiness inside the core of their being. That's to me what doing life better really means. Wow, that's powerful, Rick. Thank you. Thank you. So for our final question, uh, as you know, I like to uh, give our listeners a challenge for the week. One thing that they can work on during the week um, to help them do their life even better. So in terms of rewiring their brain and creating greater resilience, is there one challenge you'd like our listeners to focus on for this week? That's great. Uh, Eat more chocolate. No, just kidding. (laughs) Although maybe, who knows? I would say uh, take in one good thing every day. Deliberately. And deliberately, uh, it's a low bar, but actually it's surprisingly easy to get toward the end of a day and realize you haven't done it, which sounds so dumb, right? Because good things are happening. Why not slow down for the course of a breath? That's usually less than 10 seconds. Over a single breath to stay with that experience. It's interesting. We just don't tend to have a habit of marinating in our beneficial experiences. So my challenge would be to people, take in at least one good thing every day over the course of at least one breath and know that you've done it while you're doing it. Know that you're doing it while you're doing it. And at the end of the day, know that you did it. That would be my challenge, seven days in a row. Excellent. Perfect. I love that, Rick. Thank you very much. Thank you. It may sound incredibly trivial, but people will fairly quickly see, wow, Mm. and it changes everything. Like you said earlier, because then you start looking for that one thing. Exactly. Here's a little secret. Most people don't stop with just one thing. Exactly. Yeah. It'll feel too good to leave it at only one. (laughs) They'll want to do it more and more. One a day for a breath or longer. Excellent, Rick. Thank you very much. And uh, again, I do want to thank you for your time today. You have been incredibly generous with your time. And thank you also for the work that you are doing in this space of resilience and and rewiring your brain for happiness. Um, You you give your messages and your incredible understanding in quite a, a real way that everyday people like myself and everyone else can really connect with and can make sense of and can use in real ways in their everyday life. Um, So Rick, thank you for the difference you're making out there. Um, Also for me personally. And um, yeah, and I I have been talking about that idea of savoring with students I work with and, um, and, you know, to know that uh, it's, it's not just helping the people read your books, but your podcasts and that as well. So Rick, thank you very much for the work you're doing in this area. And thank you for your time today. Thank you. Oh, it's been an honor, and I feel like an everyday person. Uh, you know, so that, anyway, that makes it easier. Uh, no self, no problem, right? That's anyway. right. That's right. Yeah. Rick, Thank you. Thank you very much. So there we have it. I hope this chat with Dr. Rick Hansen was as helpful for you as I know that it definitely was for me. And please remember his challenge for the week, which is taking one good thing every day and do it deliberately. So remember taking one good thing each day, whether that just be, again, like a nice warm coffee or a nice sunrise or something, taking one good thing each day and do so deliberately. Now, thank you again for joining us today and please do share this out with your friends and your family and put it on Instas and Facebooks and everything else. Tag me in it at Dave Jorna, D-A-V-E-J-O-R-N-A and at Do Love Better Podcast. And as I said before, at Rick Hansen PhD. Tag Rick in there as well. He'd love that. So thank you again. And I can't wait to join you again next time. Thanks again for listening to the Do Life Better podcast. You can find all our show notes at www.projecthatch.com.au forward slash do life better. If you'd like to book Dave Joyner to speak at your event, company or school, you can contact him at hello at projecthatch.com.au. You can contact us on Facebook at Project Hatch and on Instagram at Project underscore Hatch. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast and share it with someone you think would benefit from these messages. And now it's time to get out there and do life better.